The following program is for informational purposes only. Do not make any investment without speaking to a licensed financial advisor. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the Financial Physician Podcast. I'm Lou Scatigna, Certified Financial Planner. We get together once a week for two hours of money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. Thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm recording this segment on uh, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and it's a day that I never leave my house. You'll never find me fighting people at Walmart for a discounted TV. It's not going to happen. So I stay home on Black Friday. And uh, you guys should do it, too. Now you have online options. Uh, you don't really even have to leave your house to shop. My wife does her entire shopping uh, online. And she's already done it. Uh, she's one of those people that starts doing their Christmas shopping in September. Uh, not like me. I'm a Christmas Eve kind of guy. All right, when we think about retirement, you know, we think about travel to Europe, nice days at the beach, spending a lot of time with our grandkids. But we don't really think about spending a lengthy amount of time in a nursing home. We don't think about that. But let me tell you, uh, as a, a, being an advisor to many elderly people, uh, long-term care is probably going to come your way. And you have to figure out a way to pay for it. Now, this is a subject that comes up in my conference room almost every initial appointment I have with a client. Uh, Lou, how do I protect myself and my family from having all my assets eaten up? Uh, by nursing home care. It's a big concern, and rightfully so, because we all know stories of somebody in our family or a friend who uh, their whole estate was eaten up at the end of their lives due to long-term care expenses, leaving nothing for their family. And uh, so people are really concerned about that. How do I protect myself from that? And I say it's very difficult to do that kind of planning because uh, you have to answer a few questions for me first. And I always say the same thing. Uh, uh, I'll tell you whether or not uh, we need long-term health care insurance. If you can answer these following questions for me. Uh, Are you going to go in a nursing home? How long are you going to stay there? Um, uh, How much is it going to cost? When are you going to go in? Uh, You know, if you can answer all those questions, it's pretty easy to make the plan. But none of us know the answers to those questions because we can't know. It's it's, it's in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't have a crystal ball. So how do we plan? Because there's three different ways we're going to pay for, for long-term care. We're either going to pay for it out of our own pocket, uh, or we're going to spend all our money and then have Medicaid pay for it, but we have to be broke. We'll talk about that. 
uh, or we're going to get long-term care insurance and have a health insurance or a long-term care insurance company help us with the cost of long-term care. But it doesn't come without a price. Obviously, it's very expensive. We're going to talk about uh, how much it does cost. And it's obviously based on the policy and the coverage, and we're going to go over those things in a second. But nearly 70% of Americans are going to need long-term care in one form or the other. Uh, could be home care. Uh, could be uh, nursing home care. Uh, so you have to uh, be able to take care of yourself in that, re- in that sense because otherwise you're going to spend all your money. Now, everybody thinks they're going to be in the 30% that don't need care. Uh, good luck with that. I mean, you're taking a significant risk. How much does it cost to have long-term care? Well, the median cost of a home health care aid was 5148 a month. In 2021, it's much higher now, and it depends where you live, too. New Jersey, those numbers are low, all right? And for a nursing home, uh, the average in the United States uh, in 2021 was $9,034. In New Jersey here, it's $12,000, $12,500. It's very expensive. Everything's more expensive in, uh, in New Jersey, and, and the cost will continue to rise. Now, uh, Medicaid can play, pay for long-term care if you're destitute, but you have to become destitute first. And the way it works is if you're married, the rules are different than if you're single. If you're married, you have to spend down all your money until you get to about 130000 The wife can keep the house, doesn't have to sell it, doesn't have to sell the car, can keep a certain amount of income per month, uh, and, uh, and then Medicaid would kick in. Now, if you're single, now you have to spend everything before Medicaid would kick in. You have to sell all your investments, your savings. You've got to sell your house, your car. Only when you get down to virtually nothing will Medicaid start paying for you. And if you go into a nursing home straight to Medicaid nursing home, you're not going to like the facility because Medicaid facilities are just horrible. Uh, So you want to have at least two years worth of, of, of savings to get into a good nursing home. And that's the thing. People start giving their money away and try to uh, have no assets so Medicaid can kick in. And then when they finally have to go into the nursing home, they realize that that was a big mistake. So what goes into a, a long-term care policy? Well, it pays out a set benefit per month usually or per day. Right? Maybe it's $200 a day. Maybe it's 5000 a month. Obviously, the more it's going to pay, the more the premium is going to be. And it, um, as I said, uh, you, you may not want to have everything paid for by an insurance company because the premium is going to be astronomical. They're astronomical as it is. Another thing you have to be aware of is the waiting period, also known as the uh, elimination period. This is the period that you have to wait before the insurance company will start kicking in. And that's usually, in 95% of policies, it's usually, usually 90 days from the time that you're qualified for care uh, to the time that the insurance company will pay for it. So that comes out of your pocket. So if you're in a nursing home and it's $12,000 a month, you got to come up with $36,000 before the insurance company will start paying. So you got to be aware of that in your planning. Also, you have to be aware that insurers cap your lifetime benefit, either through time or through money. What do I mean? Well, maybe they'll only pay the benefit for three years. And if you live longer than three years, then it starts coming out of your pocket again. Or they may pay a certain amount of money. Let's say they had 250000 
That's how much they'll spend. And after that, you're on your own. So you have to be aware of what uh, the lifetime cap is and how they calculate it. Uh, what else? Um, uh, how long are you going to stay in a nursing home? All right. That goes into the planning, too, because if you want to have a lifetime cap or a certain amount of time, you have to realize what's the average. Well, it's different for men and women. I'll explain that why in a second. Men average about 2.2 years of long-term care needs. Now, that doesn't mean nursing home. You know, that could mean just having somebody come into the house to help for a couple hours. Or it could be a live-in. It doesn't necessarily mean nursing home stay. It just means need for long-term care. While women, on average, need 3.7 years. And uh, about 20% of 65-year-olds end up needing care for five years or longer. And that's usually Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, so, why does women need more time of long-term care than men? Because men die before women. And women can take care of their men. And that's the thing. When you have husband and wife in a house, you're going to watch over each other. If you have a declining spouse, you're going to make sure that they wash themselves, they eat, they take their medicine. If they fall and hurt themselves, you could call 911. You're there for them. But when someone's alone, now you're worried about mom. You know, what if she falls down the steps and nobody knows? What if she uh, forgets to take her medicine? What if she has dementia issues and we're afraid she's going to walk out the back door into the woods in the middle of January? Uh, so they're going to need care. Either you're going to take them in or you're going to find a facility for them. And that's why premiums are expensive, especially for women. Now, long-term care insurance is not a cheap product. And the cost of the premiums, what it costs, depends heavily on your age and your gender. A 55-year-old male in standard health would pay $2,100 a year for a policy offering $165,000 of total lifetime coverage with a 3% inflation rider. And that's important, too. You, have to, you want to have an inflation rider because $5,000 worth of care today uh, is certainly going to, be, uh, it's going to be more expensive 15 years down the line. That's for sure. So you want to make sure that your insurance policy, your benefits, will go up at some inflation rate. Now, it may not go up at the exact amount of healthcare inflation, uh, but at least it'll go up somewhat. And the average rider is about 3%. That's usually the right. If you want more than that, it's going to cost you, uh, obviously, a whole lot more. Now, again, these are, just, this is, these are national averages. So a, a 55-year-old man in standard health would pay $2,100 a year for a policy offering 165000 of total lifetime coverage with a 3% rider. A 55-year-old female would pay 3600 per year. And women pay more for men because they typically live longer and are more likely to need extended long-term care. Now, what if you wait till you're 65 to do this? Well, a 65-year-old man would pay $3,135 a year for the same coverage. While a female would pay $5,265. You see the difference? It's quite substantial. It really is. That's one thing about insurance. Life insurance costs a man more than a woman. Because men die before women. Uh, uh, but long-term care insurance costs more for a woman than a man. Because a woman's probably going to need it longer. Uh, and uh, a higher percentage of women will need it than men. Now, when long-term care insurance first came out, um, insurance companies didn't really understand the market and charged too little 
And what they experienced was that they were paying out a lot more than uh, than uh, they were getting in premiums. So they had to go to courts, and they and the courts would uh, allow them to raise their policies. And that's what's happening now. I mean, Genworth is is notifying people around the country that they're going to raise their premiums substantially. And they're giving you options. You well, you know, you know, you paid for this policy for 15, 20 years, and now all of a sudden they're going to jack up the premiums. Uh, how about four hundred percent, something like that? So now you're faced with, hey, I paid for these premiums my whole life, and now I'm getting close to needing the long-term care insurance, and now it's unaffordable. So the Genworth is giving people options to take less benefit per day, uh, do away with the inflation rider. Um, or just buying out your policy, offering you a chunk of cash to go away. But just realize that can happen. But nowadays, it's stabilized a bit. When, when uh, you get a policy nowadays, it's been well thought through and well underwrote, uh, and you're paying the proper premiums from the beginning. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Because nobody wants to get that sticker shock that you get a letter in the mail that all of a sudden, you know, we're raising your premiums. Now, um, you can get partial protection, as I said, at all. It's not all or none proposition. I mean, you don't have to have everything paid for. Also, keep in mind, there's two different types of policies. There's a use it or lose it policy, which was the traditional long-term health care policies. Uh, and now they have what are called hybrid policies. Uh, hybrid policies is a mix of life insurance and long-term health care. And the way it works is, say you have a $250,000 life insurance policy, and you need long-term care. Well, say you're, uh, you're spending, uh, you're, you're being provided with 5000 a month out of the policy, right? So after a year, you spent $60,000 of the 250000 death benefit. So now your life insurance death benefit drops to one ninety. And then once you get to zero, many of these policies will continue to pay lifetime benefits uh, but you'll have no life insurance at that point. Uh, these policies are really good because it's not use it or lose it. You're going to get a full refund of what you put into the policy, right? Either you or your beneficiaries are going to get it. Either you're going to get it through long-term health care payments or your family's going to get it through a life insurance policy. These are called hybrid policies. And they're much better than the use it or lose it policy because I've had clients who have paid, I don't know, 4000 a month. Uh, sorry, 4000 a year for 20 years uh, and then uh, dropped out of a heart attack. So there's $80,000 that just disappeared in your life. Um, so uh, that's a big problem. Uh, and there was no refunds of any of the premiums that you did pay. But nowadays, it's, it's a lot better because you could use these hybrid policies and uh, at least make sure that what you put in, you'll get uh, on the way out one way or the other. <clears throat> Uh, when you apply for a policy, it has to be underwritten. What does that mean? It means you have to be in decent health and a decent age. I mean, you can't be 85 with cancer and go out and say, I want to buy a long-term health care policy. Nobody will insure you. Uh, people 55 to 70 years old in reasonably good health are uh, the best fit for long-term care insurance. Now, just realize if you're 55 right, and you're healthy, you're going to be paying premiums for a really long time. And you may not even be using the policy down the line. Uh, but you'll be paying a lot less than somebody who's 70 and gets the policy. Now, once you qualify for the policy, 
the coverage is usually guaranteed and renewable for your entire life uh, at the same premium unless they get they, they raise the premiums on everybody. They can't just raise the premium on you because all of a sudden you're getting sick or you're getting old. It doesn't work that way. Uh, but when you do apply for it, it is, um, it is uh, underwritten and they may not accept you. I mean, if you're ill and you have issues, uh, they just may pass on you and you won't be able to get the insurance. That's why you want to get the insurance when you are in reasonably good health and a reasonable young age. So long-term care, it's a big issue for people, and, and they don't know how to deal with it. Uh, and I, I don't know how to deal with it as a planner, all right, because it is so expensive. Uh, and even the, the, the long-term care hybrid insurance, um, life insurance policies, they cost a lot too. Many times you have to put down like $100,000, $150,000 cash into that. So they're not cheap. Uh, but, you know, they'll do the job for you. And like any other insurance in life, you hope you never use it. I don't want to use my life insurance. I have to die. I don't want to use my house insurance. The house has to burn down. I don't want to use my car insurance. I have to have an accident. I don't want to lose my long-term health care insurance because that means there's serious stuff wrong with me. Or I'm dying or I'm at the end of my life and have a very costly health care. So, again, a very complicated part of financial planning uh, if you do it wrong and you, you don't make the right bet, meaning you wind up having to go into a nursing home and you don't have the insurance, uh, you're going to burn out your uh, estate and, and possibly um, leave your children with no inheritance. Uh, and you'll be taken care of. I mean, the bottom line is that you will be taken care of. Now, some people use the strategy, we use this in my firm, uh, of gifting assets away and figuring, well, if I give my money to my kids, then I don't have any money and I'll qualify for Medicaid. Well, that's a strategy that works as long as you gave that gift five years ago. You know, as a five-year look-back period on this stuff. If you uh, go into a nursing home prior to the five years, you may be responsible for a number of years worth of nursing home costs. And you may have to get that money back. And that's the key. When you gift money within five years and you apply for Medicaid, well, you're going to have to get that money back because you're going to be responsible for your health care costs at that point. But that's a strategy. And one area that I like to deal with is, is the house. That's one of the first things I like to gift away because nothing changes in your life. Your children's names now are on the deed. You have what's called a life settlement. They can't sell the house from under you until you die or you agree to it. Uh, and that's one way of getting assets out of your name. And it doesn't change anything. You, you sit at the same kitchen table, sleep in the same bed. You know, there's no difference in your life. Now, you start giving your cash away, your investments away. That's a different story. Now, yes, they could, your kids could put it in a separate account. But there's some liabilities there. Number one, what happens if they get sued? They have a car accident. They kill somebody. Lawyers find out they have deep pockets because of your money. And they, and, and they sue them over and above um, their policy. That happens all the time. What if uh, there's a divorce? That's why I always ask my clients, if you're going to put this money in your child's name, is their marriage stable? Now, theoretically, uh, mom's money is not a marital asset that's gifted to you, but divorce judges all the time consider it, just to make things fair, you know, so that happens all the time. Also, do they have credit issues? You don't want to give your money to somebody who has a debt issue because they can't go bankrupt. 
because now they have all this money. It's their money. And there's no such thing as putting somebody's name on an account, right? It's, it's you're giving it to them. It's their money legally. So if you take 100000 out of your bank account and you put it in your child's name, that 100000 is theirs for all legal purposes. Lawsuits, credit issues, divorce. So you got to be careful. And that's where the landmines are. Now, gifting your house to a life estate, it's not the same. There's protections in there. They can't be sold because he has an accident. It's not considered their asset per se until you die. So there's a few strategies for protecting an estate. I, I don't even like to talk about estate planning or long-term care planning like this unless you're in your 70s or you're single. Single's a different story because when you die when you're married, uh, the estate settles very quickly. Everything goes to the surviving spouse, either through joint accounts or through beneficiaries on retirement plans and annuities. Right. Uh, Or the will if it's necessary. But you don't even really need a will when you're married. Many people don't even probate the will when their spouse dies. But when there's only one of you, you have generational wealth transfer. And that's a whole different story. And that's when you want to make sure you do your estate planning, your long term care planning. Now, as I said before, the earlier you get the insurance, the cheaper it is because you're not going to need it for a long time. You're going to pay a lot of premiums. So 65 to 70 probably is the area that I would buy insurance if that's something I want to do. But it's not right for everybody, and there's no blanket answer I can give you whether it's right or wrong. A, can you afford it, number one? Number two, what's your asset structure look like? Do you have a lot to protect? If you don't have a lot to protect, then you really don't need the insurance. I mean, if you have 50000 to your name, I mean, why would you get long-term health care insurance that's costing you maybe 100000 over your lifetime? doesn't make any sense, right, to do that. But if you have a million dollars in assets or even a half million dollars in assets uh, and you want it to protect that, then, you know, long-term care insurance is the way to go. Or a combination of a gifting strategy and long-term care insurance. So this is not something that you should make this decision on your own. You want to talk to a financial advisor, a competent certified financial planner, uh, and go over all the scenarios uh, and then make a decision together whether or not it makes sense to take on this costly insurance. Uh, and like I said, the, the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to be. But the younger you are, the less you need it. So make sure you talk to a qualified financial advisor and determine if long-term care insurance is for you. All right, let's take a quick break. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. 
Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Love your emails, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I promise to respond to each and every email. If I don't, uh, I'm not ignoring you. I just missed it. Just send it again and put a catchy uh, phrase in the um, subject line that I'll see and know it's not spam or, or junk email. Get so much of those these days. Uh, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And thanks so much for sharing the podcast with friends and family. Many of you have sent me emails or if I've seen you in person said you turned on your friends to the program. Uh, I've got a lot of new clients that are coming to me saying that um, their friend turned them on to the program and and now they're becoming clients of mine. So I really do appreciate that. The numbers uh, of listeners are going up each and every week quite substantially. And that only happens because you guys are telling people about that. And I, I truly do appreciate that. We don't charge anything for the program. There's no subscriptions or anything like that. Uh, you want to do something for me? Share the program uh, with somebody that can benefit by it. All right, this week is Thanksgiving, the uh, official start of the Christmas holiday season. And um, holidays for many people, the happiest time of the year, or it could be the most stressful time of the year uh, because of the financial obligations that we have for the holidays, especially nowadays where many families are struggling. They're paycheck to paycheck. They've maxed out credit cards. How, we, how am I going to get through the holidays Financially, I did um, back in 2010 when my book first came out, uh, I was going all over the country doing TV shows, TV news shows, uh, local Fox, local ABC. And uh, I started doing a segment during uh, late October and it was called How Many Paychecks Do You Have Till Christmas? And it was a way for me to explain people how to get through the holidays and by understanding how to use cash, how to use a certain amount from each paycheck from October till December. Uh, because if you wait and you do it all in December, you're going to use credit cards because you don't have the cash at that point. So I was going all over the country. It was it, it was really uh, in demand, this segment about how many paychecks do you have till Christmas. I probably did 30 different TV shows around the country. Um, on that subject. Uh, and uh, there was articles taken from these uh, shows that I'm on. I was doing a Google search uh, on myself yesterday. And um, I came across all these news articles from 2010 or 2011 all over the country about how, how many paychecks do you have till Christmas, quoting me. Uh, I didn't even know they were all out there. I guess... Once one company gets it, it goes through their entire uh, affiliates and everything else. So it was showing up all over the place. 
And it still comes up once in a while. It's recycled. Because obviously nothing changes. It's still the same subject, right? It's not timely. It doesn't go out of, doesn't expire. So there, here was some of my holiday budget planning that can get you through the holiday season. Number one, honestly evaluate your current financial situation and determine how much you can spend without going into significant debt. How much can I put aside between now and Christmas out of my own paychecks so I don't have to use the credit cards? And how much credit card debt do I think I'm going to have to incur? So you have to decide the maximum amount of spending that you're going to do on credit cards. What, what is the most I want balance on this credit card after Christmas is over? And how much am I willing to spend on each individual that I have to buy for? it? And, you know, if you just lost your job or times are tough, and they're tough for a lot of people right now, you have to have a, a discussion with your children that, that during tough times, you only have so much that you can spend on a holiday. Now, I'm not talking about little kids that you got to deal with. That's Santa. That's something different. I'm talking about, you know, your teenage kids. And by the way, they're the most expensive gifts you're ever going to buy is going to be for your teenagers because they want an iPhone. Uh, they want a, a, a PlayStation. They want a virtual reality thing. These things cost a lot of money. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. You got to say, look, I can't do that. You know, it's just too much. Now, the earlier you start shopping, the better. Because that gives you time to search for sales, other bargains that are out there. Many, many retailers have already discounting prices in October. And again, if you start earlier, you're going to use more cash and less credit cards. Because you're spreading your buying over 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Instead of three or four. Use the internet. Uh, you know, uh, online stores, a lot of online stores have better prices because they don't have brick and mortar costs. And you beat the crowds. You I don't have to worry about long checkout lines or parking. You know, I mean, geez, you want to go to the mall in the middle of Christmas season? It's nuts. Instead of buying three or four expensive gifts, buy a larger number of inexpensive ones. So uh, they have a lot of things to open up. They're just much more inexpensive. You know, that's the thing. You know, my wife, when she bought something expensive for her kids, oh, but, I, you know, I got to get more for him because, you know, his sister has more things to open. I'm like, no, you know, you spent 500 on him, you spent 500 on her. He wanted the more expensive gifts. But you know what happened? There was the same amount of gifts at the end of the day. At disproportionate costs. Remember the holiday clubs that they used to have in the bank? You know, I still have them. Uh, or just set up a separate savings account. It doesn't have to be a holiday club. But every week you take a certain amount out of your paycheck. And you put it in that account. And that account is strictly for Christmas. My son-in-law does it at the base where he works. Um, it automatically comes out of his check. And uh, he was telling me the other day he has $800 in that account. So he's got a real good head start for his two little boys. Great idea. Another thing you could do is restrict your buying, your gift buying, to the immediate family. I mean, when you start buying things for nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles, they add up. Now, I'm sure they'll understand because 
they're likely doing the same thing. You, let's not buy for each other this year because, you know, times are tough. I know, you, you know, you'll save money, I'll save money. Um, that's a good idea. So be smart this Christmas season. It is uh, starting officially this week, uh, but smart people. My wife has all her Christmas shopping done. <laughs> right after Labor Day, she starts stressing out, and she, she does all her shopping. Uh, then she wraps them, and now in my bedroom, I have piles of, of gifts sitting there. But start early. It's very, very important you start early because it will be very stressful if you wait to last minute. And that's the way I've always been. I'm a procrastinator. Um, when when my wife and I gave each other gifts, we don't do it anymore because we have what we want. We, we, there's nothing that we need that we, we, we don't buy ourselves. So it's impossible to buy for each other. Um, so, But when we did, I was always the one shopping on Christmas Eve. I would buy my gift for my wife hours before I gave it to her uh, and then have it wrapped and everything else. So that's the way I did it. It was very stressful. Um, so so start early and, and be wise with your spending uh, because, you know, those credit card bills, they come in January and February. You got to open those credit card bills and said, oh, my God, you know, Christmas is over. The tree is down. And uh, now I got to face the reality of having to pay these debts down. And many people, they spend the whole year, the next year, paying down their credit card bill uh, that they use for, for Christmas, uh, only to reload it uh, the next uh, Christmas season. One expenditure that we may overlook when we're talking about holiday spending is tipping. That's right. There's many people in your life that um, you may want to tip. Now, tipping is not a uniquely American practice. But Americans tip more than, I think, anywhere else in any other country, or at least for larger amounts. Now, when you go to uh, eat at a restaurant in Europe, uh, all you do is leave like two euros. Because these people are paid, right? You know, I mean, American waitresses and waiters, uh, they get the minimal amount of hourly pay. So they're, 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 their income is based on tips. That's not the way it is in Europe and other countries. Uh, they get paid a full salary. So if you're happy with their service, you know, you leave them two euros, uh, not 10% or 20% of the bill. And I think Ameri many Americans who go traveling to Europe, Italy, whatever, don't really know that. Uh, they're used to tipping all the time. So meanwhile, they're, they're, they're giving a 20% tip to a guy who really shouldn't be getting it. And uh, But there's people in your life that you want to take care of in the holidays. And uh, Kiplinger put out a guide to holiday tipping because many of us just don't know how much to give, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Well, let's start out with your letter carrier, your, your postal worker. Now, the postal service guidelines say that cash is prohibited. Uh, but I don't think anybody follows those guidelines. Uh, and you're not supposed to give your postal carrier a gift more than twenty dollars. Uh, but we, we we give our our postal carrier uh, more than twenty dollars, and we give them cash. And you know what? It's always gone. They never leave it there and say, "No, I'm not allowed to take cash." Uh, we put it in the mailbox and a Christmas card, uh, and it mysteriously disappears. So obviously, uh, our postal carrier uh, don't really believe in uh, the postal service guidelines against cash. 
but certainly you want to, if you, especially if you have a regular same post person, uh, you want to take care of them. And you know what? Giving a little tip to some of these people, whether it's your, your trash carrier or whatever, uh, they're going to go uh, an extra mile for you. You know, you put something out on the curb that they normally wouldn't take. Uh, they'll take it, knowing that you gave them 20 bucks last time. Uh, and same with your postal carrier. They won't jam everything in your mailbox in a big mess. They'll take their time and make sure they do it neatly. Now, it's just, you know, humans being kind to each other. Uh, and kindness is usually returned. And uh, so, you know, $20 to your postal uh, carrier, uh, that's that's good. Now, uh, my uh, my daughter's father-in-law was is a retired postal worker, and he said on Christmas week he would make over a thousand dollars, and that was the money he used for his Christmas. Uh, so it goes a long way for these people. Now, do you tip uh, a FedEx driver, UPS driver? Well, yes, if you see them regularly, and it's the same person in your neighborhood all the time, and you have a little bit of a relationship with them. Why is that important? So they don't leave your um, your package uh, open to theft. They'll, they'll, they'll put it behind something, or they'll put it right up against your garage instead of leaving it in your driveway. Um, they'll go the extra mile for you. So for them, I would say the same thing, about 20 bucks. How about uh, you still... Um, Subscribe to uh, hand-delivered print newspapers? Well, good for you. Uh, you're still reading. Uh, but you should give this person a tip. And I would suggest 10 to 30 bucks. These are usually young, young men or ladies. Uh, a $20 bill is a lot to them. And if everybody on their route gave them $20, they're going to have a pretty happy Christmas. And, you know... They're, they're riding in the rain. I've done this. Many men, I think, have done this. When I was younger, I was delivering the local newspaper. And uh, first, we got to fold it. Then we got to put the rubber band on it. And then uh, if it's if it's wet out, we had to put it in plastic bags. Uh, and then we had to get it on our bike and throw it in the driveway. And, uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And uh, on Christmas, it was nice to get a tip. Take care of these people. I mean, they really do take care of you. And maybe they'll go a little further up your driveway and, and, and put the paper on your stoop. Is that still a word, stoop? <laughs> I'm showing my age. Uh, yeah, your front stoop. Uh, garbage man, as I said before, 10 to $30 each. Right? Um, and go out if you can. With all these people, too, if you can go out and give it to them personally. Uh, it's 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 a better thing than just putting it in the mailbox or taping. Um, what we've done in the past is we've taped a, a holiday card to the garbage can, so the the garbage men know that that was for them. Um, and that's fine to do if you're not going to be home. But if you're home and you see them coming, it's nice to walk out there, wish them a merry Christmas, hand them a card. Again, it goes a long way. What else would you want to tip? Uh, how about a teacher, your kid's teacher? Now, I wouldn't send them cash. I mean, that's that, that's not appropriate. But maybe a thoughtful gift with maybe a handwritten note thanking them for doing such a good job with their child. Assuming, you're, assuming your child doesn't have a woke, horrible, uh, leftist, communist teacher. 
I'd like to think that most teachers aren't that. Uh, I know my daughter loves my, my grand, grandson's teachers, so a little gift for them is appropriate. Now, what if you have a regular cleaner that comes to your house? Cleans your house every week, every two weeks, whatever it is. Uh, Kiplinger suggests that you tip them the cost of one visit. So if you pay $100 a visit, then you should give them a $100 tip on the holidays. And this is somebody that's in your house. This is somebody that's... We're getting into more intimate now, people, that we give tips to. I mean, we're not that close with the postman or the or the garbage man, you know. But certainly, uh, you know, your, your child's teacher or your regular cleaner that comes in and does your house. Um, you know, you want to take care of them. And one service, uh, the cost of one service is appropriate. Same is true of uh, your barber or your hairstylist. And if you have multiple people that do your hair in, in the salon, you know, give a smaller tip to the girl that washes your hair. Uh, because, you know, most people, especially women, I'm being sexist here, I think. Well, maybe not. Uh, you know, share a lot of intimate things with their hairstylist. Uh, and it's almost like a friend. Uh, so, uh Maybe a small personalized gift would be nice uh, as opposed to cash. I, I think for, for some people, cash is best, like a mailman or, you know, uh, uh, the garbage man or something like that. But a thoughtful gift uh, to somebody that you're close with, like your hairstylist, I think would be much nicer than uh, $50. That is other people that we um, we possibly would tip. Uh, uh, what if you have a personal caregiver? that comes to your house, takes care of you, right? You want to talk about an intimate relationship? There you have it, right? Uh, Kiplinger rec- recommends that you tip them a week's pay, whatever that may be. Now, that may be tough because, you know, maybe you're struggling to just pay them in the first place and that may be difficult. Then maybe a thoughtful gift or something like that would be uh, uh, acceptable. But if you have the, if you have the money, uh, and they do a good job for you. Uh, I guess they wouldn't be there if they weren't doing a good job for you. You get somebody else. Um, give them um, a week's pay. So tipping, it's a it's a very important, a very social thing to do. Uh, it's a good thing to do in the holidays. Obviously, it's the one time a year that we we like to take care of people, take care of us. So uh, be thoughtful. Don't overdo it. Plan for it in your budget, and um, and make sure you take care of the people that take care of you. Remember last year, the IRS uh, was going to implement having to send 1099-K forms to anybody who uh, made more than $600 on Venmo or PayPal or anything like that, you know, selling stuff. And it uh, was delayed till 2023. Well, it's being delayed again until 2024 because people are just freaking out over this. And it's very confusing to all these different services. Right now, the rule is 20,000 and 200 transactions. So you're in a bona fide business at that point. But the IRS wants to see anybody who got $600 or more. They want you to file what's called the Schedule C, self-employed income, and pay tax on it. Now, you won't pay tax on all the amount you receive because you have costs involved for the products and, and, and running the business, but it'll force you to declare the money and do a Schedule C, hire an accountant, and find out what the net profit of that business is. 
uh, and now it's supposed to go in effect uh, this year, meaning that people doing their taxes for 2023, we're going to have to deal with this, as well as the institutions that have to file these 1099Ks with the government. So the IRS came out and said, quote, we spent many months gathering feedback from third party groups and others, and it became increasingly clear that we need additional time to effectively implement the new reporting requirements at IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel. Um, so he said, taking, it, taking this phased in approach is the right thing to do for the purposes of tax administration. And it prevents unnecessary confusion as we continue to look at changes to the Form 1040. It's clear that an additional delay for tax year 2023 will avoid problems for taxpayers, tax professionals, and others in this area. So uh, that's a good thing. Anything that makes uh, your taxes easy. But it's not going away. It's going to start now in 2025. Now, there's lots of critics out there of the rule change. Um, And they say that, you know, privacy concerns. Now you're forcing third-party payment apps to to reveal details of users' transactions. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing as we talked about many times, digital currencies, that you'll have no privacy in anything you do financially. And they go on to say, you know, a lot of critics say it's an unfair tax burden that falls on casual online sellers and micro-businesses. But again, you know, we got uh, what 87,000 new IRS audit agents. They need something to do. But anyway, good news if you um, you sell stuff and you're worried about having to file a tax return. You know, what if you send Venmo? Like, you know, you send somebody in your family $1,000 and you use Venmo to do it. Now they're going to have to file a tax return to detail that? And how do you distinguish between, you know, private transactions, a loan to somebody or paying somebody back versus somebody who's selling trinkets or jewelry or something online. We'll keep an eye on it. Hopefully between now and next year, maybe the whole thing will go away. Uh, But right now it's going to go into effect uh, for uh, tax year 2024. Uh, We get another um, delay uh, for 2023. And what's a very sad commentary on where we are in America. Um, this was a disturbing article I read this week, but it's not something we didn't know about because we've talked about it here on the program before. But as food prices continue to increase because of inflation, more Americans say this Thanksgiving they're turning to local food banks to get essentials for the holiday feast. Quote, this is the first time I've had to pick up a box of everyday staples from a food bank in my life. Brenda Stewart of Washington told the Epic Times, I am not destitute. I have a job, but I can't afford to make Thanksgiving dinner the way prices are at the grocery store. And, and, and that's a sad commentary. Like she says, she's not destitute. And many Americans who do work are finding it's just not enough. And that's due to uh, inflation. Thank you, Bidenomics. Working out really well for most Americans. 60% of, pay, 60% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck on the edge of uh, financial ruin. And now we're seeing job cuts rising, the economy slowing. And even if you're working, you still can't afford to put groceries on, uh, on the table. Some Americans who are visiting food banks for the first time said they feel shame. 
I never thought that there would be a food crisis in the most powerful country in the world. Here's a quote from somebody in this article. Yes, I lease an Audi and rent an apartment in Georgetown. Okay, I'm in a little over my head, but I didn't think it would ever come to this. Going to a food bank. It's humiliating having to ask for welfare because of how this country is right now. This person who doesn't identify with any political party said that things were better under President Donald Trump. Even during the pandemic, he kept, it, he kept it together. It seems like once Joe Biden took over, things started to go downhill. And I can't keep up with my bills. A recent study released by Bankrate shows that wages won't be able to outpace inflation until the end of 2024. And how does anybody know that? And Dementia Joe Biden, uh, he's campaigning for re-election across the country and trying to build enthusiasm for his economic record. When this is when, when more Americans than ever are going to food banks. This is what he said in his speech. The unemployment rate has stayed below 4% for 20 months in a row. The longest stretch of 50 years. Well, the inflation rate was below 2% for 10 years. So what is he talking about? And inflation is coming down at the same time. It's down from 60%. It's down 60% since last summer. Folks, all of this is no accident. It's Bidenomics. These people lie right to your face and think you got to believe it. Corinne Jean-Pierre, she comes out and, and says, everything's great. Bidenomics is working. But they're messing with you. Everything they do is gaslighting with you. They try to make you believe something that you know is not true. Inflation is not down 60%. The rate of inflation may have dropped 60% from the, the, the all-time high that we were at a year ago. Or close to the all-time high. If you believe the CPI, which I don't. But see, they're trying to make it sound like inflation is down 60%. Like prices are down 60%. Uh, when's the last time Joe Biden walked into a grocery store? Maybe his people are telling him lies. They don't want to upset him. So they're telling him, everything's great. Biodynamics is working. Go out there and tout it. A poll recently released by the Financial Times and the University of Michigan found that only 14% of voters believe that they're better off financially now than when Biden took office. I hear Biden talk a lot about how there are high-paying jobs out there, maybe for his friends, but everybody I know is barely making it, said somebody. She said that even the 766 in benefits that she receives from the state supplemental nutrition assistance program each month isn't enough to buy groceries for her family. I have two kids. I go to Kroger once a month and all my food stamps are gone because that's how expensive food is. For the rest, I rely on a local food bank. And it's not just the price of food that's increased. Everything's increased on the Biden. Energy, food, clothing, virtually anything is more expensive. But Bidenomics is working. As I said a couple of weeks ago, that is going to be considered uh, a very bad term in the future. Let's have Bidenomics again. Oh, no. You remember back in the 20s? We had Bidenomics. Remember how bad things were then, honey? I mean, gas prices have been coming down lately as oil has been coming down a little bit. 
Again, nothing to do with Joe Biden, uh, but they're still 46% higher than, than before the pandemic. And, uh, and he, he, he just insists on touting his economic record, and it's just not, that's a surefire way to lose the election by telling everybody, vote for me because of how good I'm handling the economy. Uh, the majority of Americans, Democrats and Republicans, do not believe that Biden's handling of the economy is good. I think 70% of Americans believe it's poor. And you can see it in all the headlines. I got a bunch in front of me. Retailers expect a weaker holiday season. Is this what Bidenomics promised? Also, retail job cuts this month were the highest since 2020. Retailers have cut 72,000 jobs through October. A 258% increase from 20,000 it eliminated in 2022. Uh, why would they be doing that? Because retailers know they're not selling much. They don't need as many salespeople. And we're hearing it from corporate America, too, talking about the weakening consumer. And, uh, and credit's hard to come by, or many Americans have reached the, the limit for debt that they can handle, or they just re- reached their credit limit on their credit cards. Uh, and usually you don't see uh, retail jobs being cut in October. That's usually when the hiring is done for the holiday season. Also, you know, he, he touts the employment figures. Well, right now, 106.4 million American adults do not have a job. Uh, 19 months in a row, we've seen the conference board's uh, leading economic indicators fall. 19 months in a row. Last time we saw that was 2007 to 2009. So the economy is in big trouble. And these indicators are, are, are pointing to it. And it's getting worse each passing day. But the mainstream media and Biden insist the economy is doing just fine. They tell us inflation is low. But if you measure it the way we measured it in 1980, the official rate would be about 10%. They tell us that the unemployment rate is low, 3.7%. But if they used honest numbers, we'd probably be at 20% right now. There are highly qualified people. I, I know this. I know friends of mine, highly qualified, that can't even get an interview. And they're sending out hundreds and hundreds of resumes. So what are they doing wrong? Well, obviously nothing. There's just no demand. And the employment market is much tighter than we're being led to believe. And that's not going to change anytime soon. If anything, it's going to get worse. When a working age American is not working, the government puts you into one of two categories. Right now, there are only 6.5 million U.S. adults that are officially considered unemployed. But another 99.9 million U.S. adults are considered to be not in the labor force. So they're not considered unemployed. And if you add those two numbers together, you have 106.4 million U.S. adults that don't have a job right now. And again, it was the economic crisis in 2008 and 2009 we reached 90 million, and now we're at 106.4. Now, granted, some of those um, adults uh, are retired, aren't looking for a job. 
But there's a lot of uh, working age people who just give up. If you're not actively looking, you're not considered unemployed. If you're discouraged, you're not considered unemployed. And that's the way to juggle the numbers around to make it look better than it really is. So don't let anyone convince you that unemployment is low. And I told you that. I said, do not believe any of the government numbers right now. It's all fudged. It's all rigged to make Bidenomics and the administration look good in an election year. That's what it's all about. And that's all you're going to see next year, too. Everybody's going to see their friends losing their jobs, themselves losing their jobs. The stock market going down. Inflation going up. So you can't keep telling people things are good when it's bad. It's kind of like, you know, remember when Minneapolis Minneapolis was burning and you had a CNN reporter in the back, all you see is flames. And he said, this is a mostly peaceful protest. Like, like you're lying eyes. Don't believe them. And even when it's right in front of you. A recent survey said that 40% of Americans say they're worse off this year than they were last year. Not a really good stat going into an election year for uh, old Joey there. And young Americans are really getting hurt by this. Millions upon millions of young people have low-paying jobs. And many are struggling with the student loan debt that they have to start paying back again. And this is one of the reasons why the average age of a, a U.S. home buyer just keeps going higher and higher. They can't afford it when they're younger. You know, the average home buyer right now is 49 years old, 18 years older than in 1981. Well, it's inflation, college costs, house prices, now interest rates on mortgages are making it harder for young people to, to get their first house. The most shocking uh, contrast is for first-time buyers, where the median age is now 35, up from 31 in 2013 and 29 in 1981. So the American dream now is out of reach for a lot of young Americans. And it's, you know, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And even older Americans are struggling. And that's the thing, too. We're seeing young Americans struggle. We're seeing the elderly struggling now. Uh, and that's only going to get worse. Uh, the poverty rate in, uh, for seniors uh, just continues to go up. Existing home sales crashed to the slowest since 2010, which we were in the midst of the, the, the worst real estate recession we ever had. And a lot of it has to do with affordability. It has to do with mortgage rates, the price of homes. Economists are expecting housing sales um, to drop 1.5% month over month in October. It actually fell 4.1% month over month. Far worse than expected. And down for the 20th time in 23 months. And... Uh, the decline in existing home sales year over year is 14.6%. And again, that, that's another reason why uh, you're seeing uh, such despondency out there, especially from young people who just never feel that they're going to get ahead. But Bidenomics is working. It's working. Don't ever forget that. Well, it's working if the, the goal is to put most of America in poverty. Very successful at doing that. On Monday, uh, 
presidential spokeswoman. Uh, is she, does she go by woman, she, her, what? Uh, I forgot to ask her. I think she is a woman. She kind of dresses like a woman, but I've never asked her her pronouns, so I don't really know. But she came out uh, and had to speak about Transgender Remembrance Day. Did you know that on Monday? I'm surprised it's not a federal holiday already. Like Juneteenth. But one day they'll probably push to make it a federal holiday. Family will get together. Because everybody will have at least one transgender in the family by then. And we'll uh, celebrate with uh, what would be the appropriate uh, dinner for Transgender Remembrance Day. Got to think about that one. Well, you could have a tutti-frutti, nutty-nutty cake for dessert. So listen to her. Um, there's so many pressing issues in the world, but this is the issue that uh, she opened up her press conference with. Now, today, on Transgender Day of Remembrance, we grieve the 26 transgender Americans who were killed this year, year after year, we see that these victims are disproportionately black women and women of color. No one should face violence, live in fear, or be discriminated against simply for being themselves. As the president said, there's still more to do to meet the promise. And it's why this administration has taken urgent action to strengthen rights and protect the safety of transgender Americans and all LGBTQ plus Americans. As we mourn the loss of lives that have been taken too soon, we must also recommit ourselves to never stop fighting until all Americans can f live free from the discrimination and also from hate. You know, The Advocate magazine, it's a prominent LGBTQ publication. They have a crime section on their website. And if you just scroll through it, it'll take you about two minutes. It shows that the perpetrators are 99% black males. That's what it is. Uh, and, uh, and that's not, so, she, so she's gaslighting us as usual, trying to blame 330 million Americans instead of blaming the people who are really responsible for it. But, and calling us all racist, by the way. She had to bring up race as if uh, uh, the victims are proportionally uh, uh, non-white women or men that dress like women. Well, who do you think their boyfriends are? They're mostly black males. And then they have a fight or an altercation and they kill. Not because they're transgender. Because in relationships, people kill each other sometimes. And she's talking about 26 in the entire year that were transgender, that were murdered. Probably because, not because they were transgender, because they had a fight with their boyfriend, who just happened to be black. Everything's gaslighting with these people. How about the children who were murdered by the transgender shooter in Nashville? That they were holding uh, their, uh, what do you call it, their manifesto showing that there is, it was a white transgender who hated white rich people. Did the children who were murdered by this person, do they have a day of remembrance? That's too much to ask from the White House, the Biden White House anyway. Uh, if you're transgender, you're exempt from almost any crime you could commit. 
And why does transgenderism deserve a holiday in the first place? A holiday so important that the presidential spokeswoman had to spend time on it. Because that's what's being pushed on all of us. All you have to do is uh, say you're trans, you're queer, or, or whatever. And there's no way you could have committed a crime as far as these people are concerned. There's no way you could do anything negative to society. And, and, and don't think that, that criminals haven't realized this. Just more, more insanity. And another example of the woke insanity in our government, uh, Department of Homeland Security head Alejandro Mayorkas is warning agents not to misgender illegal aliens invading the United States. That's right. We've had, what, 3.2 million sneak into our country this year, over uh, 10 million since Biden became president. And instead of protecting the U.S. border, which is what the Homeland Security Department should be doing, they're instructing agents to uh, not misgender illegals, warning them to be respectful and ask the illegals their preferred pronouns. And in the memorandum that went out to all the border agents, uh, it says, for example, state, quote, I would like to be respectful. What name and pronoun would you like me to use when addressing you? How about illegal alien or criminal? That would be a good pronoun. This is just outrageous. I mean, our government is, this whole situation is out of control with this Biden administration. The memorandum goes on to say, quote, consider the tone of your questions and working when addressing an individual and inquiring about their self-identified pronouns or identity. The agents were warned not to be disrespectful. For example, you may ask, can you please confirm your pronouns or gender identity? The document also warned agents not to be rude by asking, what are you? What is your sex? Mayorkas also told the agents to listen to the illegal aliens if they corrected and to apologize for misgendering them. For example, my apologies. Thank you for clarification on that. The agents were also warned not to use him, he, she, her pronouns until you have more information about or provided by the individual. Just more insanity. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. It's so insane. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Republican uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced a resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. And if anybody should be impeached, it should be him. He's not doing his job. He's doing the opposite. He's the director of Homeland Security, for God's sakes. And they have open borders. And, you know, he's the one who always says, oh, the border's secure. Nothing to look at here. Of course, eight rhino Republicans voted with the Democrats and killed the impeachment. God, I hate. Rhino Republicans more than I, I hate left-wing Democrats, really. Just unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, make sure you use the proper pronouns for people invading our country. More government insanity. Uh, the Pentagon has failed its annual audit for the sixth year in a row. According to uh, the Defense Department's chief financial officer, Out of 29 individual sub-audits of the department, only seven passed this year, uh, same as the prior year. 
One other received a qualified rating and stepped down from passing. Why three are ongoing and 18 were given failing grades. With no fraud found. Well, isn't that nice? No fraud was found. I bet you there's a lot of fraud, I bet. That wasn't the only thing that wasn't found, by the way. According to the article, half of the DOD's assets can't be accounted for. Half. So I guess we're supposed to take comfort in the fact that the only problem is incompetence, not fraud. So uh, just as this news comes out, our annual failure, audit failure again. And by the way, trillions of dollars is missing, but there's no fraud. Sure. So in the, in the face of all this, just as this report comes out, the Pentagon has decided to be even more wasteful and frivolous with our money. The Department of Defense is requesting approximately $114 million to finance its latest round of diversity initiatives. The DOD plans to use the funds for, quote, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. DEIA programs in fiscal year 2024. Uh, They added the I to it. You ever notice that? All these acronyms for whatever, LGBTQ, it just keeps growing. Uh, So now DEI is now DEIA, because there's always something we could add to one of these woke programs. I mean, we have wars popping up everywhere. We have China getting bolder by the minute. And our Defense Department wants to spend over $100 million for DIEIA insanity. It's great to know that when we finally get invaded by China or Russia or somebody... The military will be inclusive, and they'll be able to properly convey their pronouns to our invaders. Nice to know. It's, uh, it's just another sign of uh, the demise of our country, I'm telling you. The military wants money that the country doesn't have to spend on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just unbelievable. Maybe they should focus on something like uh, being prepared for uh, World War III. Uh, but, you know, the military is woke like every other aspect of the Biden administration. Our college campuses, the far left in this country, is just destroying us. It's just unbelievable. Morale in the military is probably lowest it's ever been. Recruiting is down. If we have any major conflict in the world, we're going to have to resort to the draft. I want to see. I wonder how that's going to go over. Didn't go over very well during the Vietnam War. I wonder how it would go uh, go over nowadays. It's been so long since we've had a major war uh, that we needed a draft. Uh, who are you going to draft? I mean, our our young people now are overweight. They're big babies. Uh, they expect everything to be handed to them. They have no courage, no bravery. They need a safe room if they're offended by something. Uh, We're in big trouble here in this country in so many ways. But one area should not be our military where this crap should be going on. Yeah, $114 million for diversity training. Just ridiculous. Just another example of the demise of our country. And it's sad. All right, on the other side of the break, I'm going to try to decipher and make sense out of Bidenese. Joe Biden's unique way with language. Don't go away. 
AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Last Monday was uh, Joe Biden's 81st birthday. And, you know, he could be 81 years old and still be sharp as a tack. But unfortunately, uh, our esteemed president does have problems with language as he uh, battles with um, deteriorating uh, mental health, to be nice. Uh, So let's start off with some of the things that he's talking about lately that, that nobody could really understand. Let's start off with a one-syllable word called uh, "prekt," as in uh, New York City is so dangerous now that I didn't go to the Rangers game because I had to prek my family. Wow, I never knew to use it that way. <laughs> now the next one is uh, the opposite end of the spectrum. The dose chef wishy-washy. The dose chef wishy-washy. When I signed the bipartisan infrastructure again, which the next one I really like is because it's somewhat patriotic, and uh, I didn't even know how to say this word. Uh, what do you want? Foot a foot, something like that. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was the foot him. I think he just did a wonderful job in uh, defining America in one word. Now, he has trouble remembering people's names, uh, but when he's talking about Chinese diplomats, uh, it gets uh, a little dicey. Now, listen closely, because this is a master class. The group included groundbreaking Asian-Americans like Vera Wang and, and, and Joan Shingang, Shanga Koala. I think I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> I think I pronounced it correctly. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so, Joe. Um, then Joe, uh, he just makes up stories. Uh, and again, I, I, I guess it's not fair to make fun of a, a demented old man. Um, shouldn't do that. But I think all bets are off when that person is the president of the United States, the commander in chief, the leader of the free world. 
and who is running again for four more years of this. And when he's not messing up his words, he's mixing up his stories. And he's talking about the reason why the Hamas attacked uh, Israel. And he's taking credit for uh, bringing peace to the region and uh, having Saudi Arabia build a railroad from Riyadh to Saudi Arabia, which is Riyadh, to Israel, to Europe. But he's, he's confusing a pipeline with a railroad. You may recall when we did the G20 about a little while ago, I was able to get a resolution, a, a statement passed through there saying we're going to build a railroad from Riyadh all the way through the Middle East into, into Saudi Arabia, Israel, etc., and all the way up to Europe. Not the, not the railroad, but it would be an underground pipeline. I only have one thing to say. Four more years. Four more years. Could you imagine if he gets reelected, the state of his mind two years from now, three years from now, four years from now? Uh, there's just no way, even if Biden wins, um, even if they have the, the machine in place to rig the election again, uh, there's no way that this man makes it to a second term. Either he's going he's gonna to die during that time or he's just going to be totally incompetent. He's totally incompetent now. I just can't imagine what the state of his mind is going to be. A year from now, a year and a couple of months when he would have his second inaugural. Uh, and, you know, the rest of the world laughs at us. They laugh at Joe. More and more Democrats realize he's too old and he's too decrepit and he's too mentally challenged for the job. And I'm surprised that the Democrats really haven't made their move yet to replace him. I don't think they won't. Even the last minute, it could be at the convention next year in August. They're just going to install somebody to be a, the candidate without primaries. The DNC will just choose. I mean, that's what they did with Biden. Biden was losing all these primaries. He was like in last place. Then elder statesman uh, Clyburn, I think the senator from uh, Georgia, he came out behind Biden and told all Democrats to get behind him. Just before Super Tuesday, Biden miraculously wins almost all of them and became the nominee because he was selected to be the nominee. Nobody else would have had a chance of beating Trump. Now, in contrast to bumbling Biden, uh, we have John Kennedy, senator from Louisiana. And this man is a national treasure. I love the guy. He's got a, a great wit. He's got a great dry sense of humor. And uh, he's displayed his talents uh, throughout his entire career in the Senate. Uh, sometimes you'd see he had Biden nominees up there for judges, and he'd ask them a question like, what's the Third Amendment? And these people had no idea. Running for appellate judge, uh, don't know the Constitution. And he also does it in a way that is unique to himself. And he was on an interview this week, um, it was about the border, it's not important what it was about, but he um, was with Martha McCollum on Fox News, and during his appearance, he managed to trigger the Biden administration, the Democratic National Committee, after taking a shot 
at um, Kamala Harris's level of intelligence. Take a listen. Ember smoldering in China, and they have concluded that um, fair or unfair, Martha, I'm not saying that this is accurate, but I, I can read a poll. And the American people have concluded that President Biden um, is, uh, is old and he needs soup at an early bedtime. And they have concluded that Vice President Harris is not capable, um, that, that uh, when her IQ gets to 75, she should, should sell. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's fair or accurate, but that's what that's a conclusion today that the American people have reached. Well, <laughs> Senator Kennedy, you gotta love him. One of a kind. Uh, Biden's old. He needs soup in an early bedtime. And the best was Kamala Harris's IQ when it gets to 75. She should sell. Love it. Only John Kennedy would say something like that. Uh, and that's his sense of humor. I wish he was a senator from my state here in New Jersey. <laughs> I just love the guy. On Thanksgiving Eve, uh, President Trump put out a message on his uh, Truth Social account. And he addressed it towards uh, Letitia, he calls Letitia Peekaboo James, and quote-unquote psycho Judge Arthur Engeron. Now, these are the two that are, are trying to sue uh, him uh, for $250 million because he misvalued real estate. It's just a garbage lawsuit uh, with, with no victims. Uh, and this judge is, is totally out of control. So, the, And he doesn't hold back. That's one thing about Trump. Uh, love him or hate him, <laughs> you know exactly where he stands. And this is what he put out. Incompetent Attorney General of New York State, Letitia Peekaboo James, who has let murder and violent crime flourish and businesses flee. The radical left Trump-hating judge, a psycho, Arthur Engoron, who criminally defrauded the state of New York and me by purposely valuing my assets at a tiny fraction of what they really worth in order to convict me of fraud before even a trial or seeing any proof, and uses potentially biased and corrupt campaign finance violator, Chief Clerk Allison Greenfield, to sit by his side on the bench and tell him what to do. And crooked Joe Biden, who has weaponized his Department of Injustice against his political opponent and allowed our country to go to hell, and all the other radical left lunatics, communists, fascists, Marxists, Democrats, and rhinos, who are seriously looking to destroy our country. Have no fear, however, we will win the presidential election of 2024 and make America great again. Uh, he certainly didn't hold back on that. Now, Trump's the only guy I know that would call the judge that's going to make the decision in the trial a psycho. Trump hating. Uh, only Donald Trump would do that. I, I guess Donald Trump knows how the end of this, this, this trial is going to end. Now, this is not a jury trial. They rigged some kind of commerce clause so he couldn't get a jury trial because he, he'd win a jury trial. There'd be at least one or two people who would think that this is absurd, even in New York. But now this judge, who obviously hates Trump, his wife's treated, uh, treated, tweeted all kinds of negative things about Trump in the past. Uh, you think he's going to get a fair, fair trial from this guy? So he don't care. It's just uh, uh, nuclear. Uh, he went nuclear on them. And we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but uh, obviously Donald's a little pissed off, I think. Especially when he started hauling his kids to the stand. I, th I think that did it for him.
And we'll see how that plays out. All right, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said that he wants to phase out the sale of new cars that run on gas by 2035. Other, other, red, uh, other blue states are, are doing the same thing. Now, these people won't even be in office in 2035. Why are they able to make decisions now that will affect people in their states 10 years from now when they're not in office? I mean, that's ridiculous. And this is part of the Democrats' grand plan for the Green New Deal. They're not waiting for the country to be ready for it. They don't even care if people want it. They're just doing what they want to do. So according to him, New Jersey will phase out the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. Joining states such as California and New York, Governor Murphy announced Wednesday the Advanced Clean Cars 2 rule will take effect January 1st, will make the Garden State the 11th state on such a trajectory, joining Vermont, Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, Virginia, Rhode Island, Maryland, and Connecticut. What do these states all have in common? They're run by Democrats and they're being run into the ground. Instead of doing something to stop the crime in their states, make the quality of life better, uh, this is what they were, they're worried about. It's unbelievable. Now, um, the rule will have no effect on use or ownership of existing gas-powered vehicles or used car sales. Um, so, uh, in 2035, you will not be able to buy a gas-powered car in New Jersey. Now, what if you go to a different state and buy it and just drive it home? Can you do that? I don't know. You know what's going to happen, you know, in the future, unless you're really rich, you're not even going to be able to own a car. Only the powerful and the wealthy will. Everybody else will be expected to use public transportation. That's what they're trying to get at. And I've always said, you know, this, this Green New Deal stuff, this climate change stuff, it doesn't work unless every single country in the world is doing the same thing. You can't have China spewing out factories and, and, and billions of cars over there, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna um, go green here in the United States. I mean, we all live in the same environment. It's like you being the only one in the pool that's not peeing. Just because you stop peeing in the pool doesn't mean that there's not pee in the pool. Everybody in the pool's got to stop peeing. And that's the big problem. Hey, look, I love the planet. I want it to be here for my kids and grandkids. Do I believe climate change um, is man-made? I don't really think so. I think we've had climate change for the history of the world. So uh, I'm going to go out and buy my last car uh, in 2035. I'm going to be 75 years old. I'll buy my uh, last new gas-guzzling car. Uh, that will last the rest of my life. But we'll see if this even can be implemented. I, I, I find it hard to believe. Another thing that came out this week that I, I couldn't really believe the headline on this article, and uh, but it's true. It says, now Big Brother wants to control the gas pedal in your car. Just when you thought there were no parts of your life not already, already under the thumb of federal government, a new idea emerges. This time it comes from the National Transportation Safety Board, and it involves outsiders having control of the gas pedal in your car. Now, of course, while you're driving, right? 
the proposal from the NTSB is to install intelligent speed assistance tech in all cars, a system that uses the car's GPS location and local speed limit postings to help ensure safe and legal speeds. What the NTSB wants is to require systems that warn when a driver is speeding, as well as systems that make it more difficult but not impossible to increase the speed of the vehicle, as well as electronic limits on vehicles so they fully prevent drivers from exceeding the speed limit. So, it's what are you going to do? Make a buzzer go off so loud every time you go over the speed limit that it'll drive you crazy? Or they're going to have the option to, uh, to to slow your car down through some kind of artificial intelligence algorithm that's beamed to your car. They just don't stop these people. It's just unbelievable. Uh, this week for Thanksgiving, the Biden-Harris campaign released Thanksgiving dinner talking points to counter crazy MAGA nonsense. Uh, boy, is, that's a nice way to start a civil war at the dinner table on Thanksgiving, isn't it? And one of the talking points is if somebody brings up that uh, Trump secured our border, you're supposed to say that now if he's reelected, he's promising to make it worse, rounding up Latinos into mass detention camps, ending birthright right citizenship, and shooting people at will. All right, so if Trump gets reelected, the Biden campaign believes, or wants you to believe, uh, that they will be shooting people at will. This is insane. I mean, this is really, this is really dangerous stuff that the Biden administration is putting out. The Biden-Harris Thanksgiving talking points were posted with a series of subject matters under the headline, Your Handy Guide to Responding to Crazy MAGA Nonsense This Thanksgiving. Uh, including uh, the economy was better under Trump. They have counter-talking points, sure to cause uh, the sweet potatoes to fly at the table. Uh, Americans are going to believe that, that the board is going to get worse if Trump is reelected. I don't think too many Americans are going to fall for that one. Political earthquakes this past week uh, in both uh, Argentina and in um, the Netherlands, where conservative Donald Trump-like Politicians won their presidential elections, or the equivalent thereof. Um, in Argentina last week, it was, um, I forgot the guy's name, but he, uh, super conservative, uh, taking over in Argentina. I mean, Argentina is a mess. Uh, and he campaigned on a very populist message, and uh, he won by a landslide. In, um, in the Netherlands, um, Gert Wilders, uh, won by much more than anybody ever expected. Uh, and uh, and it's making liberals and globalists and the elite uh, very, very nervous for 2024 here in the United States. Uh, if populist, conservative, Trump-like politicians are, are winning in places like Argentina and the Netherlands, not known as conservative places, uh, uh, it bodes well for uh, Donald Trump here in the United States next year. But they're panicking out there. And they ran on, uh, in, in the Netherlands, he ran on uh, uh, immigration, mass migration. And uh, he, he ran on a MAGA kind of uh, platform. Make Dutch the Dutch number one again. 
Well, how how is that much different than Make America Great Again? It's the same thing. Wilders um, ran on a, a, a referendum on the Netherlands leaving the European Union, a total halt to accepting asylum seekers, and uh, not allowing migrants through the border. But where have we heard that? Now, um, Univision. Univision is the Spanish-speaking main television network. It's all over um, Latin America. Here in the United States, it's on every cable news, uh, every, every cable service. And last week, Univision had an interview with Donald Trump. And it's made Democratic politicians and progressive activists uh, outraged. Why? Because they gave him a fair interview for a change. You know, if they were denouncing a conservative media outlet like Fox News or, or Newsmax, that wouldn't be a surprise. But this is uh, the Spanish language network. And they thought that he would, they were soft on Trump. Well, do you see some of the softball interviews Biden has here in the United States? Longtime Democratic operative Maria Cardona accused Univision of working to mask the pernicious and dangerous politics that Donald Trump is going to implement if he becomes president again. And a group of 70 hard-left Hispanic advocacy organizations fired off a letter to the network's top brass declaring the interview as a betrayal of trust. Um, and, and that's what they're trying to do to the left now. They're trying to make it sound that if Donald Trump is reelected, he's going to be Hitler. And the reason why they're saying that is because he's going to go after his enemies just the way they went after him. And they, and they don't want it that way. They just want it to be one way. And the only reason that the far left or the left have his interest in journalistic standards all of a sudden is because they're losing their grip on Hispanic electorate. I mean, Trump is doing very well with Hispanics. And I think Univision, uh, Univision knows that. And they know it's probably good business not to take sides. And it would be disingenuous for um, Hispanic media to paint the rosy picture of the state of the nation under President Biden's leadership. I mean, Hispanic families, you know, they're, they're living the inflation and the high cost of living that we're all experiencing here. Many uh, Hispanics have low income and they don't have room for inflation in their lives. They see newly uh, arrived illegal migrants overrunning their communities and, and putting a strain on public resources. And if they came in here legally, uh, they, they are very unhappy with those that are coming in here illegally. And the majority of Hispanics disapprove of, of, of President Biden's job performance, especially in key battleground states. 57% disapprove of Biden's job. So it would make perfect sense for uh, Univision to not want to want to um, provide a balanced approach to the news. This is supposed to be in one sided. That's who their that's who their customers are now. Now, the reporter, Enrique Acevedo, uh, he's a seasoned reporter for Univision. And he asked penetrating questions about a whole bunch of issues. Now, if it was George Ramos, 
who is the other main interviewer and, and news guy there, he's so far left, and all he ever wants to talk about is immigration. And he would be all over Trump. He would be asking him gotcha questions, and he wouldn't let him answer. Well, Acevedo gave uh, Trump time to respond. And uh, they didn't like that. The left don't like that. All right, well, it looks like uh, the West uh, has finally come to the conclusion uh, that Ukraine is losing the war. And there's no way that they're going to win it. And they're starting to uh, not want to finance this losing endeavor. I mean, we have $100 billion that we've sent over there that's unaccounted for. Unaccounted for U.S. taxpayer dollars. Went to Ukraine. And uh, God knows how much is in Swiss bank accounts. I wonder how rich Zelensky really is. And according to uh, Germany's Bild newspaper, there's a secret plan um, between uh, Germany and the United States to get Zelensky to come to the realization that things cannot go on like this anymore. And that Zelensky should explain to his nation that negotiations must be carried out. So the latest German-U.S. plan involves the U.S. and West supplying Ukraine with enough weapons to hold the current front and to give up any expectations of recapturing the lost eastern territories taken by Russia. So it looks like um, Schultz, who is the chancellor of, of Germany, and President Biden want to bring this Russia-Ukraine war to an end, and soon. And uh, Zelensky is going to have to accept brutal compromises because, you know, Russia uh, has taken quite a bit of land in the east, and they're not going to give it back. And this war is going to end soon one way or the other because Ukraine's run out of troops. They're all dead. They're down to like 10-year-old boys now. And old men, because all their fighting age people have been killed. And God knows how many civilians. And uh, it is time for negotiations. It's time to end this war. And also what's going on in the Middle East, it's taken all the attention away from Ukraine. And people realize that this is a no-win situation in Ukraine. It's got to end. And that's a good thing. All right, so here we go again. Are you ready for Pandemic 2.0? Well, I was stunned to see this headline uh, this week, um, that uh, the World Health Organization is requesting information from China regarding the increasing cases of respiratory diseases and clusters of pneumonia among children. So apparently there is this... uh, Pneumonia among kids spreading throughout China. There's reports of hospitals being overrun. And they don't know what the bug is. Or if they do, and they most likely do in China, uh, they're not saying. Just like COVID when it came out. So we've got to keep an eye on that. Uh, It's always turns, uh, I get a pit in my stomach whenever I see headlines like that. The last thing we ever want to live through is uh, another COVID-like situation. And who knows, you know, the, the next pandemic may may not just kill a fraction of 1% of people. I get it. Uh, what, what if it kills a third 
of people that get it. You think the insanity of COVID was bad? Uh, you know, if we have to live through something like that, that would be that would be insane. So I'll keep an eye on it. We'll we'll try to follow it, and we'll report it here um, uh, as things develop. And another indicator that uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden are losing the black community and the black vote. This was surprising. Mark Fisher, co-founder of a Black Lives Matter chapter in Rhode Island, is advocating for former President Donald Trump's return to the Oval Office in 2024 and insists he's far from being the only one in the BLM movement to feel this way. So we did a recent uh, interview um, and Mr. Fisher was asked to defend his remarks. He made that, that President Trump is the best candidate we have. Uh, and he said, well, because everybody else sucks. And he went on later to, to praise Trump for a straightforward approach and contrasting it with what he perceives as the Democratic Party's hypocrisy. Now, uh, the interviewer uh, sought to clarify Mr. Fisher's response, asking if he thought President Trump was simply the best of a bad lot. And frankly, not that, uh, that, that great either. Well, Mr. Fisher replied by highlighting his personal regard for President Trump before adding that it's, um, it's hard not to appreciate what the 45th president brings to the table given the shortcomings, shortcomings of the incumbent. I like Trump, he said before adding. I think right now who we have sitting in the Oval Office is just a deep disappointment. He expressed disdain uh, for President Biden and in that he really dislikes Vice President Kamala Harris as well. So if this is Black Lives Matter coming out, and he's saying it's just not him only, that a lot of people in the black community are feeling this way. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Hispanic community now uh, is turning away from the Democrats and Biden. And uh, it looks like, uh, barring anything crazy, I don't see how Trump doesn't win a, a Trump-Biden matchup. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Biden's polls continue to drop to to levels unseen uh, in presidential politics. Historic low approval ratings. Yet they still are intent on running him out there. We'll see what happens with that. It's a long way between now and uh, the Democratic uh, convention in the summer next year. And I've said many times on this program that I don't believe Biden's going to be the nominee. Nominee. Who, who will it be? I don't know. I really don't know. But it won't be him. He's got no choice. And, and, and as the polls become more and more clear, uh, a poll came out this week where Trump was ahead six points head-to-head with Biden. And if it's six points, it's probably 16 points, the way polls are, 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 are skewed towards Democrats. And believe me, the Democrats know this. Uh, I think they feel they could they could steal close elections, but they can't steal a landslide. Or maybe they can. Who knows? The level of their fraud uh, could be sky high for all we know. But uh, but it's interesting to see that uh, minorities, Hispanics, blacks uh, are turning toward Trump. You know who the, Biden's main supporters are? Women. Why? Because abortion is their religion for many of them. And they'll vote for any Democrat 
any Democrat, regardless of their competency, as long as they're pro-abortion. And that's a shame that, that that's the defining topic. And it's going to be the big topic in 2024. Democrats advocating for the killing of children up to the last day. And Republicans uh, backing the right to life. But that's not the way they see it. They see it as uh, uh, taking away women's rights to their own body and to choose what they want. And that's a distinct difference between uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. And we saw in these elections that just passed a few weeks ago that pro-abortion is a very popular subject. And pro-abortion laws were passed in many states recently. So uh, Trump has to figure out a way to mitigate this abortion question next year. Now, maybe it's just not going to be that close where it's going to matter anyway. But he's going to have to. It's a fine line because you're going to piss off somebody. The pro-life crowd or the pro-abortion uh, crowd. So how do you how do you uh, deal with that? It's going to be a good question for Trump and the Republican Party. And we'll see how the, their strategy comes out. But it, it's got to be dealt with. And uh, if they're just going to be staunch right to lifers and, and, and the Democrats spin it, that they're going to try to take away abortion in, anywhere entirely. And that's the way they do it. They, they, they go draconian with it. This person wants to eliminate abortions. When maybe that person just wants to have a 16-week limit. But that's the way the Democrats spin it. And they're very good at it. And the media is very good at trumpeting that, too. But uh, Biden's poll numbers are just so drastically low and uh, head-to-head with, with, with Trump. Trump's only getting stronger, uh, as people see. You know, witness Joe's bumbling, stumbling. We've all seen um, uh, dementia, demented, or, or family members with Alzheimer's. We know what it looks like. Everybody knows what it looks like. Maybe in the beginning they could they could uh, hide it in some way, but they're not going to be able to hide it anymore. It's obvious. The guy just, he can't find his way off the stage, on the stage. I played all the bumbling language that he has. He falls down all the time. So I just can't see. I just can't see this guy making it to the convention, giving a speech at the convention, and winning the election. I just don't. We'll see what happens. All right, that's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for sharing this uh, uh, podcast with friends and family. That's the way we grow. We've been growing each and every week. Thanks to you guys for, for turning people on to our program. You want to get in touch with me? Just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. It's lou at thefinancialphysician.com. If I could help you with a personal finance matter or you want me to cover a subject on this program or you just have a comment on something I said, uh, just be nice, and uh, I will return each and every email. I will respond to them. If I don't, just send it again. You want to make an appointment with me at my Tom Gerbo office to have a, a no-obligation complimentary consultation on anything financial in your life, give my office a call at 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. And don't you ever forget it. I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a great week.